Alright, this Shabbos, we conclude the book of Bereshith. Our incredible story that we've been following a number of weeks in a row comes to an uh, end. And we transition from the, uh, the Jewish people as a family to the Jewish people as a people. Right? The book of Bereshith, the book of Genesis, if you had to summarize what it's about from the beginning to the culmination to what we read this week, it's essentially the story of the birth of a family. It's a very distinguished family. It's a very special family. But at this point, they're a family. Avram is the patriarch. His son, you know, where is he going to go? To Yitzchak or Yishmael. His legacy gets passed on to Yitzchak. Yitzchak has two sons, Yaakov and Esau. Where is the legacy going to go? It's going to go to Yaakov. Yaakov has 12 sons. There's a whole episode. Can they maintain the unity? Or is this going to be an implosion of the family itself? Will it be the end of this distinguished family? They're able to recover and reunite. And they're able to reconcile. And you have 12 tribes. What we have here is a family a very special family, but at this point they remain just a family. It's this Parsha that ends the story of the special family. Next week, the book of Shmos is the transition from being a family to becoming a people. In Egypt, through the experience of the servitude, certainly through Yitzhiya Mitzrayim, through the Geula they experienced, through the redemption, the exodus from Egypt, it is their birth not of a family, but is the transition of that family, a transformation into becoming a people. And then subsequently, the different books of the Torah, Vayikra, they become not just a people, they become a holy people with a holy mission and a holy charge, Am Segula, to be a, a sacred nation, to be the priests of the world. And then they go from Vayikra to Bamidbar, they regress a little bit in the desert where they rebel a little bit and God's not sure that it was such a good idea to create this nation. And then finally, Dvarim, now they're on the brink of entering into Israel and they really are going to uh, realize their potential as a people in their own sovereign state, setting up their own agricultural and political, geopolitical and uh, legislative and so on and so forth systems in the land of Israel. That's the transition of these five books. And with this parasha of Ayachi, we end that first book, the story of the formation of this very distinguished family. So we'll do what we always do, which is just an overview quickly of the parasha, and then get into the verses that we're going to examine this week. So basically the parasha begins with Yaakov realizing that the end of his days are drawing near. He feels that he's, uh, he's getting old, his time is coming, and he has a request of Yosef to bring his sons. So uh, the Torah tells us that Yaakov is ill. He brings, uh, Yosef brings his sons, Menashe and Ephraim. Yaakov gives them a very special status. Yaakov, that uh, Menashe and Ephraim, that they are like primary sons. Rather than viewing them as grandsons, as a second generation removed, Yaakov views them as sons as if they are the tribes themselves. And in fact, this indeed plays out. In the book of Yoshua, in the division of the land, the territories of the land, we have Levi does not have its own territory. We'll talk about that in a moment. We'll see why they don't have their own territory. In lieu of Levi or Yosef, two of those tribes having territories, Yosef is represented through his sons, Menashe and Ephraim. Menashe is actually divided. Half of Menashe is east of the Jordan River with Reuven and Gad. And half of Menashe is west of the Jordan River. Why was Menashe, by the way, is the largest population? They have by far the greatest territory. East of the, of the Jordan, Reuven and God, much smaller. And not only that, Menashe have territory both in Israel 
and outside of Israel proper, east of the Jordan and west of the Jordan. So why do they have territory? Menashe and Ephraim, who are they? They're grandchildren. Where'd they come from? They're not part of the 12 tribes. The answer is, in this parsha, Yaakov bestows upon them the status of 12 tribes when he gives them these brachas. Of course, we know the famous switcheroo. His hands are reversed. They're crossed over. Yosef tells his father as if, as if Yaakov doesn't know which one is indeed the older one. Um, and Yaakov says, I know my son, I know, relax, this is by design. So he, he gives the greater position of prominence to the younger, but he crosses his hands at the same time to protect the dignity of the, of the older. And it's a remarkable, remarkable display here. I mean, to me at least it's remarkable that, um, you know, most brothers have this tremendous sense of competitiveness and they wouldn't be capable of... of, uh, of Giving, seeing the greater honor go to the younger brother. Menashe is the older. Ephraim is the younger. Yaakov shows greater deference to Ephraim. And nevertheless, Menashe accepts that. It's not an issue for him. And it's that remarkable sense of brotherhood, of kinship, of mutual admiration and respect, which is one of the reasons suggested why we give the bracha on Friday night. Those who are blessed to have sons, the bracha is, Yisimcha Elohim ke Ephraim Menashe. Why Ephraim and Menashe? Why not be like Avraham? Be like Yitzchak, be like David HaMelech, be like Shlomo, be like Moshe Rabbeinu. Of all people, Ephraim and Menashe are very minor characters. Did I say this last week? I don't remember. No. Ephraim and Menashe are very minor characters. Of all of, all of the uh, people in, in Tanakh, be like Moshe Rabbeinu, be like Avram, be like David, be like Shlomo, be like Shimshon Agibor, be Ephraim and Menashe? And the answer is, these are the first brothers. Yitzchak and Yishmael didn't get along. Yishmael has to be expelled from the house. Yaakov and Esav don't get along. Yaakov's got to run for his life. The brothers in Yosef, they throw Yosef in the pit. The first generations within this special distinguished family where the brothers get along. Ephraim and Menashe, where Menashe is willing to say, even though you're giving greater respect or honor to Ephraim, I'm cool with that because we get along. There's a mutual admiration and respect. And so the blessing we give our children is, the ultimate hope of a parent is that our children get along. We hope above beyond everything else that you have respect, admiration, loyalty, fidelity towards one another. Additionally, Ephraim and Menashe are the first generation to be raised in exile, in the diaspora. All the other generations are raised in Eretz Canaan, Eretz Yisrael, in the motherland, in the cocoon of this new Jewish family. Ephraim and Menashe are raised where? In the palace of the Paro in Egypt. They are raised in secular society. They are raised in the diaspora in exile. And nevertheless, they maintain their values. The blessing we give our children Friday night to be like Ephraim and Menashe is to be able to have their strong Jewish identity and values, to be part of a distinguished legacy and family despite their upbringing in a foreign land. I just want to say, Aaron and Moshe were two brothers. Aaron and Moshe came later. Menashe and Ephraim are the first brothers to, to be able to, uh, to get along. Why did Yaakov give it to Ephraim? He saw Ephraim as greater. He saw Ephraim as greater. Again, it's also another interesting, this is not what I want to study it again, but how did we get into the whole mess to begin with? Favoritism. <laughs> Seeing one son, loving one son more than the other. Wasn't favoritism what led to the whole mess to begin with? So isn't Yaakov, shouldn't of all people, wouldn't you think Yaakov learned the lesson? Love them all equally, don't show any greater respect. You know, one of the biggest lessons I ever learned is, you know, when my kids were, my kids are little, and before I was the one giving out candies, 
when I was assistant rabbi, I call a guy getting candies, and Rabbi Klein or then Rabbi Brenner would give me candies to bring home, and they gave me one was green, one was red. I said, no, no, I need all the same color. <laughs> I can't come home with candies different color. One of the lessons I learned: everyone gets the same, the same color, the same box of crayons, the same. You're not gonna get no. Again, you have to educate each child differently. That's what we're learning together on Shabbos afternoons. But in terms of that level of relationships, you've got to treat each kid. Hanukkah presents, everyone, same. You can't let any child feel more favored than another. So Yaakov, of all people, you would have thought Yaakov should have learned the lesson of favoritism and the con- consequences of favoritism. And yet here Yaakov is. But let's move. We haven't even started the class yet. So that's the whole episode of Fine Menashe. Then Yaakov... Uh, feels compelled to give blessings to his sons. And this is what we're going to study and examine together today. He calls his sons, the tribes, one by one, and he gives them what the Torah refers to as blessings. We'll see. Would you characterize his words as blessings? I'm not sure. We'll see in a moment. Yaakov then dies. He expires. And he is gathered to his people. We have a tradition. Yaakov Avinu Lomes. That Yaakov, our forefather, never died. What does that mean? I'll give a shir another time on this. I found five or six different explanations. What does it mean, Yaakov Avinu Lomes, that Yaakov never died? Does it mean that spiritually his legacy lives on, even though physically he has died? Does it mean that he was so spiritual even in his lifetime, that his body was so insignificant to him, even while he was alive, it was his neshama, which was his core, that his goof, his body meant nothing, so Lomes, there was nothing to die because it never lived. All along he was only in a Shema. There's many different explanations. What does it mean, Yaakov Avinu? Is it the legacy of Yaakov? We are B'nai Yisrael. We are the sons of Yisrael, the sons of Yaakov. So Yaakov Lomes, because here we, the Jewish people, continue to thrive. Many, many different interpretations. What does it mean? He didn't die. But the Torah says, he died. So Yaakov is mourned by all of Egypt, not just the Jewish people, but he's considered they merited to receive great blessing through the presence of this righteous individual. All of Egypt merits, uh, all of Egypt mourns him. Yaakov had made Yosef take a promise that he's going to bury him in Israel. So Yosef asks for dispensation from Paro. Can he take indeed his father to bury him in the burial place of the Jewish people, namely Maras and Achpelah? They go up and they do that. Yosef reassures his brothers. They come to him and they say, we talked about this last week. They say, "Uh, Yosef, I'm not sure if you got the memo from dad. I think the email may have not gotten through. But he wanted you to know before he died that even when he died, don't do anything to us. Don't, Don't get even with us. Right? And, and that hurt Yosef deeply. Because what did it mean? It meant the brothers remained suspicious that Yosef never really forgave them. Because had they understood that Yosef forgave them, had they felt that there was truly a reconciliation, they wouldn't have felt compelled to have to tell him, our dad said, don't lay a hand on us. It hurt Yosef deeply, but it meant that they weren't actually confident that Yosef fully forgave them. And by the way, neither are we. There are actually mafarshim in both directions. The more common approach is to say that, yeah, Yosef forgave them. But there is a, a stream that says that, you know, Yosef continued to harbor. He understood that it came from God, as he said to the brothers. But you can understand that what happened to you came from God and still hold accountable those who made it happen and caused that pain. Yosef lives out his years, and then uh, Yosef says, I'm about to die. And, um, and Yosef makes his brothers promise take my bones. When you get out of here, when there's going to be a redemption, take my bones. Yosef dies at the age of 110. He's placed in a coffin in Egypt. And indeed, when the Jewish people are ready to leave Egypt, in the book of Shemos, in the book of Exodus, they fulfill that promise. In fact, if you remember, there's something called Pesach Sheni. There's a second Pesach. 
If you love it the first time, you're going to love the second one. If you like the first Pesach, if you like making Pesach once, you'll love it twice. Now don't worry, the second Pesach, there's no Isr Chametz. You don't have to clean your house for Pesach Sheni. You just offer the Korban and eat Matzah, but there's no Isr Chametz. So anyway, Pesach Sheni is a group of people who come to Moshe and they say, it's not fair to us. We didn't get to celebrate this incredible holiday. We were ineligible because we were ritually impure. We were, we were Tameh. So what about us? Don't we get a holiday? And Moshe confers and he comes back and he says, yes, there's something called Pesach Sheni. A month later, you, uh, you have uh, Pesach Sheni. Why were they impure? Why were they ineligible to participate in the Korban Pesach, in the Paschal Lamb, in the Paschal experience? The answer is, they were the ones who carried the bones of Yosef. When they were leaving Egypt, they fulfilled the promise to Yosef of not burying him in Egypt. They therefore were carrying the bones of Yosef and their question to Moshe was, are we being punished for doing a mitzvah? We were the ones who fulfilled the promise on behalf of all the people. So now we're being punished for doing a mitzvah that we couldn't participate? That doesn't seem very fair. And Moshe says, indeed, therefore you have a Pesach Sheni. So you see that mitzvah, that, uh, that, that promise is fulfilled. Okay, but what we want to study today, what I think we were up to from last year, is Perak Memtes. Chapter 49, Pasuk Aleph. The beginning of Perak Memtes, when Yaakov is now going to give brachas to his sons. And if you're following in the Stone Chumash, it is page 274, page 275. Says the Pasuk, Vayikra Yaakov el Banav, Vayomer hey asvu, Veagida lachem, Eis asher yikra eschem ba'acharis hayamim. Yaakov summons his sons, and he says to them, Gather round. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen in the end of days. Come and gather around. I've got a story to tell you. Gather and listen, B'nai Yaakov, sons of Yaakov, and listen to your father, to your Abba, to your Tati Yisrael. So there's a few questions you could ask right away in this text. First of all, what happens here? Why is it using a different verb? First Yaakov says, Gather around. And then he says, Hikav tu, gather around. What's the difference between Heyasvu and Hikav tu? And what does it mean? What did he want to tell them about Acharis Hayamim? And what happened? Why do you need the second Pasuk at all? He says to them, gather around, I've got something to tell you. And then he says again, gather around and listen up, listen to your father. Well, what do you need the whole second Pasuk? What changed? If he had something to tell them, tell it to them. What do you mean? And now listen, because I have something to tell you. And why? He's talking to about himself in third person. B'nai Yaakov. Come listen, children of Yaakov. In other words, my children. And then, Bishimu al Yisrael. And then the change of name, which we've been mentioning the last couple of weeks, as opposed to the other patriarchs and matriarchs, whom once their name changed, we are forbidden, the Gemara Brachos, to use their former name. Yaakov is the exception. We continue to call him Yaakov and Yisrael. And you have to go through uh, Torah to figure out when does the Torah refer to him as Yaakov, when does it refer to him as Yisrael, and why. But those are our questions to begin. So says the says Rashi. Rashi is always a good place to start. Rashi and Pasukal ve'agidalachem. What's going on here? Bikesh Yaakov legalos asakets. Yaakov was going to tell them all about the messianic era. Here's what it's all about. Remember, Yaakov is this incredibly spiritual being whose neshama, whose soul is his essence, more than his guf, than his body. His whole purpose of life, his whole goal, is to bring Kosh presence into the world in such a point that it will bring the ultimate redemption. So he wants to reveal to his sons the redemption. But what happened? It was premature. It was inappropriate. So Nistalka Mimenu 
God withdrew His countenance. He withdrew His presence so that Yaakov was no longer able to reveal the, the, the future, the end of days. So what happened? Okay, so if you've ever been a public speaker, you lose your train of thought, you planned on saying one thing, and that was taken from you. Okay, plan B. You figure out what you're going to say. So that's what's going on here in these Pesukim. In Pesuk Aleph, Yaakov's plan was he was going to reveal to them what's going to happen at the end of days. God said, uh-uh, premature. Not time. I don't want you telling them what's going to happen. So, God withdrew his divine presence. Yaakov had to go to plan B. He came up with something else to tell them. And therefore, he came up with a new word. And that's the difference between Heyasvu and Hikavtsu, which we'll see in a moment. Well, we'll see right now. Look at the Kliyakar. The Kliyakar of Lunchitz says that's exactly what's going on. Our great rabbi said He wanted to reveal what was going to happen at the end of days, but it was concealed from him. The verb of asifa, and asifa means a gathering. A gathering means from public to private. You're outside with everyone. You say, "New hey, Asfu, let's go inside. Come. Let's go inside. Come. Come to the corner. I need to tell you something. Hey, Asfu is to gather people from a public forum to in a private venue. To gather where? El toch into your house. No man could gather me into the house. And many other examples where the word Hey Asvu, Asifa, is a description of gathering, but from a public forum, from a public venue, to a private venue. So, so that's appropriate. When you're going to reveal the end, when you're going to reveal a secret, Hey Asvu. When you're going to reveal a secret, you don't say, hey, gather around, outside, on a big stage, with a big microphone, with a big megaphone, let's go to Sun Life Stadium. Hey, Asfu means if I've got a secret to tell you, come into my house, in the living room, this is off the record, confidential, closed door, because I'm about to tell you what's going to happen at the end of days. That's why the word, hey, Asfu was used there. Avalosh and kibbutz, but then in the next Pasuk, we use a different verb. Hikavtsu, which also means to gather. Why? Because kivots mora ala nashem mefuzarim shiz kavtsu lamakom echad afilu shiyeh hamakom megula rabim. Kibbutz means simply you have scattered people, you want them all to be together. But it's not that you're trying to get from a public to a private venue, it could even be in a public venue. They're scattered all over the place, and you say, hey, everybody come together, I've got an announcement to make. So originally Yaakov was going to reveal a secret. It's not appropriate to do that publicly. So therefore, lest somebody over here eavesdrop onto this revelation who is not uh, meant to hear it. God's secrets are for those who fear Him. Immediately after saying that, to gather them, he realized, uh, I don't have anything to say. Whatever I was going to say, I just lost that train of thought. I no longer have a revelation about the end of days. Twice he said, listen. Right? Look at Pasuk Bez again. We didn't ask this question, we could have. 
Why is the word Shimu used twice? Gather and listen to children of Yaakov. Listen to Yisrael, your father. Why is the verb listen, Shimu, repeated twice? Says the Kliyakar, because he's gonna, he has some difficult messages to tell them. He says, I'm about to die, I'm about to go, and I want to give you a bracha. We, we all assume, he says, I want to give you a bracha. We don't see, where's the pastor called this a bracha? Nowhere does Yaakov call it a bracha. We all, we like to say it's a bracha. But we'll see in a moment that it doesn't appear to be a bracha. In fact, it's pretty harsh. It's not really a bracha, it's actually rebuke. It's actually rebuke. Um, he's saying to them, here are your shortcomings and your misgivings, here are your challenges and your obstacles, here are your personality flaws that you're going to have to correct if you're going to have a successful life. So knowing that they're not going to, children don't like to hear that. They want to hear divrei bracha. You're great, everything's great. You know, the Wall Street Journal had an article called The Praise Craze. Today parents are into praising. Everything's, you, you didn't study, you didn't do well. Ah, you're still super smart. Everything's great. You're beautiful. You're handsome. You didn't make the team. You're still the best athlete. Everything's great. The praise craze. And the Washington Journal had an article saying that we're actually destroying our children through the praise craze because we're, we think we're protecting them from ever hearing criticism, but we're setting them up for tremendous pain in life because they're not learning that there are things about them that are worthy of criticism and that that's the only way to grow. So if all you do is praise... You're actually to disservice to the. You're harming your children because you're not really revealing to them what needs to be worked on. Yaakov does not have a problem of the praise craze. Yaakov is not overly praising his children. One could argue the opposite. He's pretty harsh. He's pretty harsh with telling them what he thinks needs to be worked on. So therefore, it says the Kliakar, Vishimu, it says it twice. Why? So says the Kliyakar, here's what the Pasuk saying. Look at Pasuk Beis again with me. Verse 2. Children of Yaakov, gather, listen to me. As your father, I've got things to tell you. You're messy. You don't put your socks in the hamper. You uh, never bring your, your dishes to the sink. You are a classic underachiever. You're smart, but you don't try hard in school. As your father, B'nai Yaakov, children of Yaakov, your biological, normal, Basar Vadam, flesh and blood father, I got to tell you, shortcomings you need to work on. But Vishimu, and also listen to Yisrael Avichem, listen to me in my capacity as Yisrael. What does it mean, Yisrael? Yisrael means I am endowed with a certain level of Ruach HaKodesh. I have a certain level of divine insight, divine inspiration, divine wisdom. And I can see the future and I understand the tribes. You are, you are after all, the heads of tribes. And I can see with my vision your offspring, your progeny, your tribes, the challenges they will run into. So listen to me when I tell you your personal shortcomings. Yibnei Yaakov, Shimu, listen to me. Vishimu, and listen to me also as Yisrael, as a patriarch, as one of the Avos, who can see Baruch HaKodesh, what are the challenges you're going to have with your tribes that are destined to come from you. And with this, the Kliyakar is explaining three things. Number one, what's the difference between He Asvu and He Kavtsu? Number two, why Shimu used twice? And number three, why Yaakov and then Yisrael? With this explanation, he's explained all three of those things. The Ramban. Oh, okay, that's another way. Yeah, interesting. Great. Phil points out, look at Unclus. Because I was going to say to you, if that's the case, why does Yaakov use the same word twice, Shimu? If he wants to say, listen and then heed. Yeah. Yeah, so Unklus translates, right, look at Unklus. 
is Kanasha Ushma'u B'nai Yaakov gather and listen V'kabilu Ulfan Min Yisrael Avuchon and then be Mekabal then accept accept it's a higher level than listen listen and don't only listen because by the way how often do we share a thought with our children which we think is for their benefit oh they were listening if you define listening as standing silently with, with sound waves entering the eardrum if you define listening as sound waves passing by the inner ear then they were listening but as soon as they were they were really not listening they were really just buying time till you stop talking and they can get away from you so it's not just hisham, not just vishimu listen also vishimu accept what I'm saying integrate what I'm saying apply what I'm saying and so on and so forth good, that's a second explanation um, look at the Svorno Ravavadji Svorno he also is bothered right again, as I've tried to communicate so many times all of our commentators are all motivated, compelled by a question they're not just offering commentary because they have to give a drasha and shul They are compelled by a question about the Pasuk. Though the style in medieval times was not to write, later commentators, the Orachayim, the Kliyakar, who are later commentators, do write in a question and answer style. By then, the, the motif, the style was to, the genre was to write a question and an answer. But the medieval commentators, Rashi, the uh, Rashbam, the Sforno, the Ibn Ezra, the Ramban, they don't write, they didn't think in that way, a question and an answer, linear. They rather were bothered by a question which drove them to a comment. They wrote it as the comment. And they made it fun for us because we get to read their commentary and say what was bothering them, what was their question. Rashi may be greatest among them. But the Ibn Ezra also is bothered. Why Shimu twice? And why... And why Yisrael? So says the Sforno, V'shemuel Yisrael avichem, Kiblu es aderech shahore lachem kol yamav, Asher bat yu b'nei Yisrael v'hu avichem, Ki tisharuim elokim v'anashim, V'lo yavad mikhem atov ha'asid lavo. You know what he was saying, says the Sforno? Hikavtsu v'shemu b'nei Yaakov. Gather and listen, children of Yaakov. And if you only listen and you don't observe, you'll remain just children of Yaakov. There'll have been a guy in history named Yaakov, you will have been his sons. Some book somewhere will list that you were his sons. Okay, that will be it. But Vishimu al Yisrael avichem. But if you want to become a nation, then listen. If you want to be B'nai Yisrael, then listen to Yisrael. Don't just listen to me as Yaakov. Listen to me as Yisrael. Only then will you be B'nai Yisrael. No, it's Kiblu as Aderach Shehor Lachem Kol Yamav. Accept the path that I've been trying to train you your whole life. Asher to you B'nai Yisrael. For through that, by listening to that, you will emerge. B'nai Yisrael, not just a family, children of Yaakov, but to be an entity, Knesset Yisrael, to be a covenantal community of B'nai Yisrael, who also is your father. That's the Sfarno. The Rashbam points out, Hey Asvu, gather, In the 17 years that Yaakov came down to Egypt, there was an unbelievable fertility explosion. 70 um, people in 70 years Amrav they were great by the way there was an explosion from the 70 to many more we bring in the book of Shemos the Jewish people had multiplied they were having how many children at a time six tuplets seven tuplets octuplets whatever you call these tuplets they would have uh, lots of reality shows all over Egypt for all of these families so um, 
Hey, Asfu, the Rashbam says you have to gather because by this point, Kenai Nahara, Baruch Hashem, they were a large family. What is this Acharis Yamim that he wanted to reveal to him but it was kept from him? Says the Ramban, Acharis Yamim, Him Yimosa Mashiach. Acharis Yamim means the time of the Messianic era. Ki Yaakov Yermozelav Bidvarav, Kemoshamarad, Kiyavoshilo. Yamim doesn't just mean the end of the day what's going to happen in the Super Bowl. Achris Yamim doesn't mean in the end of the day what's going to happen, uh, who's going to marry who. Achris Yamim means the messianic era. That's what he wanted to tell him, and that's what he was prevented from. And now he begins the process. And you tell me if this sounds like a bracha. You tell me whether Ruvain walked away from the following comment saying, Oh, what a bracha my father gave me. So what happens? What does he say? Ruvain b'choriata. Ruvain, you are my firstborn chronologically. Kochi oni, you are my strength, and you are the rishus oni, the first of my. How does he translate it? Okay, the first of my vigor, whatever that means. Yeser seis, v'yeser az. You are the highest in rank. And you are the greatest in Az. Azus is power, strength. Pachas kamayim al tosar ki alisa avicha. But despite that, you really should have been the king. You are worthy of the monarchy of royalty. You're the first in line after all. And you're worthy of being a priest. You're the first in line. But despite that, you are an impetuous young man. You are an impulsive young man. You don't have control over your instinct. And therefore, because Alisa Mishkave Avicha, you mounted your father's bed. What is that a reference to? The episode Bila. with Bila. the episode with Billa. Az chilalta Allah. Therefore, you have desecrated He who ascends my couch. You have desecrated God, and therefore nothing's going to you. Next, Shimon Valevi Achit. Did Reuven walk away from that? Oh, what a bracha, my father, bracha Hashem. He walked out on the high. My father loves me. He gave me a bracha. He's on his deathbed. All is good. What's going on here? What's going on here? And why do we call that a bracha? That's not a bracha. That's a mishaberach. That's a that's a patch. Why is that a bracha? Why is that a bracha? So first, let's understand it, and then we can understand why maybe it's a bracha. Look at the Ibn Ezra. Ruven b'chori ata kochi. Becha nira b'tchila kochi v'abachor yikra reishis on u'kamo reishis onim. The 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 eldest is the first expression of your strength. What it means to say is, the oldest is the first extension of you. They are an expression of your continuity, of your contribution to the world. You leave them in your stead. The oldest, the Bechor, is a very sacred status in the Jewish people. So much so, in fact, that Klal Yisrael, the Jewish people, we are referred to as Bini Bechori Yisrael. We are God's firstborn. The whole, I mean, I don't want to, we could spend an hour on the concept of Bechor itself. Why was there such a struggle between Yaakov and Esav over the Bechorah? Is it something that's, that lends itself to... Why in the world is the air conditioning on? Yeah, because it was very warm here. Was no, it? it wasn't So is the, is the firstborn something that lends itself to... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> something that lends itself to a uh, sale. Is the firstborn something that lends itself to being sold? Yaakov and Esav, Esav wrestle over it. And here Reuven is worthy of it and it's removed from him. The Jewish people on the one hand were called, we are one of God's children, implying God has many children. Banim atem lashem, 
It sounds like we're his only children. On the other hand, B'ni Bechor Yisrael were his firstborn children. So which is it? Are we his only children? Are we his firstborn children? The whole notion of firstborn, and then we have the whole concept of the firstborn in Egypt being actually a plague. The tenth plague is the firstborn, the harshest of the plagues. We have the status of the firstborn among the Jewish people. We have the status of the firstborn among our animals. Pigeon aben of a firstborn person. And there's also, you have the firstborn of an animal. So what's this whole notion of a bechor? We don't have time for it now, but it's an important concept. But the Ibn Ezra says, The firstborn is the first expression of a person's strength. Firstborn actually is a beautiful Mesha Chachma who describes that the firstborn child is so special to the parent because it is the firstborn child who bestows the status of parent on the parent. You only become a parent because of the child. So you know what? Parents give children life. Children give parents parenthood. Without that parent, without that child, you don't have parenthood. No, sometimes you say, okay, <laughs> can I return that gift? But, of course, we recognize what an unbelievable bracha, blessing, gift, incredible thing it is. Not just because it's a simcha, but it's continuity. It's continuity. Person without children is, is a person who's considered dead while they're alive. It's, it's, they feel that their life is so finite. Children give us eternality, immortality. When it's just us, we're mere mortals. When we have children, it's a way to achieve immortality. That's an incredible gift. That's a strength. Immortality is not a koach. So children is immortality. So that's kochi. Ruvein b'chori ata. Kochi v'reshis oni. As you look, the Ibn Ezra is really punctuating it differently. Right? We would read it. Ruvein b'chori ata. Kochi v'reshis oni. The Ibn Ezra is reading it. Ruvein b'chori ata kochi. As my b'chor, you are my koach. You are my immortality, you are my strength, you are my first expression. It's as if the Ibn Ezra is punctuating it differently. So Yaakov says to, to Ruvain, despite your being the, my firstborn, and therefore you should have been worthy of, look at Rashi, Yeser Seis, you have the greatest rank. Roy Lios Yeser Alachicha Bekahuna, you should have ranked higher than your brothers in, as a priest. Lashon Nesias Kapayim. Seis is like Nesias. Nesias Kapayim is when the Kohanim raise their hands to, to Duchen, to bless the people. Nesias. Nesias literally means to raise our hands. So um, that's Yeser Seis. You have greater Seis. This is Nesias Kapayim. You should have ranked higher as a Kohen. But are you the Kohen, Ruvain? No. And yes, sir, Az, you should have greater strength, which means, says Rashi b'Malchus, Kimo v'yitain oz l'Malko, umi goram lo l'chal l'afsid kol eila. You're not the coin. You're not the king. You got nothing. And what caused you to forfeit to lose it all? Pachas kamayim al tosar, because you flow like water. You are impetuous. You are impulsive. You are. You lack self-control. What's that a reference to? The case of. Of Billa. And also with Dina. Not Dina. Not Dina. We'll see in a moment. The case of, of Billa. So what happens as a result of losing all of this? So look at the Ramban. The Ramban says, here is a very long comment of the Yorachayim I don't want to look at. Skip to the end of the Ramban. The end of the Ramban, he says, Kiruvei nifs, n-, Look at the last line of the Ramban. 
Why did Reuven try to prevent his father from being with Bila? Through that episode of the Dudayim, what was he doing? So says the Ramban, he was trying to prevent Bila from becoming pregnant with more children. What would be the problem with more children? The more children that there would be, the less of a potency to Reuven's status as the firstborn. The more children... You are, you are not dissolving. What's the word I'm looking for? You're diluting the inheritance. So therefore, he tried to prevent his father from being with Billah. Since you violated your father in the name of protecting your firstborn ship, Says the Ramban, it's Mida Keneged Mida. You thought you were protecting your being firstborn, you were increasing your strength as the firstborn by preventing my being with Bilah. So therefore, Mida Keneged Mida, measure for measure, you know what your punishment is? You lose your status as the firstborn. You're not going to be the priest, you're not going to be the king. You lose your status. Rabbi, I thought he did it because of his mother. Because of his mother. That's a simple understanding, he did it to protect the honor and dignity of his mother. But the Ramban understood it as, he did it to protect himself. He didn't want Billa to have more children who would dilute his power. Okay, that's Reuven. Now, where, where in the world do you see that as a bracha? How could you call that a bracha? Let's read the next one. Shimon. Maybe Shimon will get into bracha. So first of all, Shimon, he doesn't give Shimon and Levi to, to, uh, separately. He gives Shimon and Levi and Mishiberach together. The Shimon of Levi, where is my place? Pasuk, hey. The Shimon of Levi, Achim. It's awfully strange. Shimon and Levi, brothers. What, what is he, making a proclamation they don't know? They don't know that they're brothers? He, as their father, needs to tell them now, hey, brothers? They know they're brothers. Shimon and Levi, achim, clay, chamas, mechirosehem. Your weaponry, your clay, chamas, your weapons, mechirosehem, is stolen. Is something which is stolen. What does that mean? What are the weapons and who do they steal it from? But let's finish. Bistom al tavonafshi, bikalam al techad kvodi. Into your conspiracy, I want no part. Al tavonafshi, my nefesh, my soul, is not going to enter. Bikalam, and with your gathering, a kihila, your kahal, your gathering, al techad kvodi. I don't want to join. I don't want my honor linked with you. Ki be'apam hargu'ish, you killed out of anger, uvir tsonam ikru shor. And in your rage, your, your, your impulsiveness, you were hamstrung, you hamstrung an ox. We'll see what that means. Arurapam, cursed is your rage, is your anger. Ki az be'evrasam ki kashasa, cursed is your anger for it's intense and your wrath because it's harsh. Achal came be'yakov, I have to separate you and split you up. Ve'afitzim be'yisrael. And I'm going to disperse you within Yisrael. Thanks dad. Thanks for the great bracha. So. Beautiful. We're impulsive. We're angry. It's a stolen trait being angry. You want no part of us. You don't want to link your honor with us. And you got to split us up. Thanks, Dad. Thanks for the great bracha. Appreciate it. Oh, and by the way, you also get nothing. You're not the king and you're also not the priest. Even though you're next in line. Reuven forfeited it because of his impulsiveness. 
Next comes Shimon and Levi. But no, Shimon and Levi, I'm just going to link you guys together as being miserable, negative, reject Oisvarfs. And you also don't get anything because you're impulsive. Next, we're on to Yehuda. And by the way, Yehuda does get something. Finally, Yehuda does get what we would classically say is a bracha. Let's look at Yehuda, then we'll come back to Shimon and Levi. Yehuda, ata yoducha achecha. Ah, Yehuda, your brothers will acknowledge you. Yadcha ba'oref oivecha. You are so strong, your hand is going to be around the neck of your enemy. Yishtachavu lecha b'nei avicha. The brothers, sons of your father, in other words, your brothers are going to bow to you. Gur, by the way, again, Yosef, imagery of bowing, brothers, Yaakov, what are you doing telling Yehuda your brother's going to bow to you? Come on, it's the end of your life, haven't you learned something? What are we doing here? Let's leave that aside. Gur Arye Yehuda. Gur Arye Yehuda. Yehuda, you are a lion cub. Miteref Bini Alisa. You rose above tearing apart my son. Kara Ravatska Aryeu Chalavimi Kimenu. You crouched down like a lion. You are like an awesome lion. Who dares to wake you, to rouse you? Lo yasur shevet mi Yehuda. The staff shall not depart from Yehuda umechokek mi bein raglav, or a wise person from between your legs. In other words, your offspring. Ad ki yavo yikas amim. Until the descendants of until Shiloh will arrive and will be a gathering of the people. Osri la gefen iro velasreka b'nei asono. He will not. He will tie a donkey to the vine. The vine branches. We'll see this is a display of the Messianic era. The amount of wine is overflowing in Israel. The vine branch of the donkey will launder his garments in wine and his robe in the blood of grapes. Red wine, red-eyed from wine and white-toothed from milk. Yehuda, your brothers will bow down to you. You will hold your enemies, will fear you. You will be so powerful and your land will be so blessed. Wine will be flowing. Milk will be accessible and available. Now, Yehuda, I understand, walking out and saying, Thanks, Dad. Great bracha. Finally, Yehuda, you're, you're as if the firstborn. Because you will, the monarchy will descend from you. Yehuda. The king, the staff will never depart from Yehuda. The monarch will come to you. Within Yehuda, sell Yosef? Ah, we'll get to it in a second. So now let's take a closer look and then we're going to end with why what Yaakov said to Reuven and Shimon and Levi is also a bracha. I don't think we're going to have time to get beyond Yehuda today. Shimon and Levi. Look at the Ramban. Says Nachmanides on Pasuk Hay. Yomar Bali Balei Achva Ki Yachem Libam Alachosam why does he introduce it as Shimon Valevi Achim? Why does he talk to them together rather than separately? Because they're Balei Achva. They have camaraderie and kinship. They feel a strong sense of loyalty to family. Says the Ramban, Yaakov was sneaking in there a compliment and indeed a bracha to Shimon and Levi within the rebuke. He understands, he says, look, what you did was wrong, but I understand that it came from a good place. What is what they did that was wrong? Ya- Yaakov is critical of them for Shechem, for wiping out and decimating Shechem. He thought that he put the entire people in jeopardy. You acted, in, you acted impulsively, impetuously also by attacking and destroying and, and literally wreaking havoc with Shechem. That could have come back to haunt us. And the fact that it didn't, you got away with one, but you put all of your brothers, you put the whole family in jeopardy. That's what he tells them. But he says, at least I understand you did it because you love the family. 
You did it to protect the name of your sister, to protect my name, to protect the family name. So that's why he introduces it, Shimon Valevi Achim. Shimon and Levi, you brothers, you who value brotherhood, you who value family, I appreciate that about you, but it led to your making a mistake. It led to the errors of your ways. That's the Ramban's interpretation. But he still says, I'm upset at you uh, because you risked all of us in what you've done. Because remember, this comes back to a comment we saw of the Rashbam. Yaakov is the classic avoider. He avoids conflict. He hates conflict. He runs away from the conflict of trying to get the bracha from his father. He has to, his mother has to push him to disguise himself. He runs away from Esav rather than confronting him. He runs away from Lavan rather than confronting him. It's time to meet Esav again. He's ready to run away. He crosses over for the Pacham Ketanim, says the Rashbam. That's why God sent an angel to wrestle with him and said, uh-uh, you can't run away this time. You can't run away from your destiny. Yaakov is the avoider. Yaakov avoids conflict. So here he tells Shimon and Levi, what are you, crazy? You pursued conflict? That's not us. That's not me. You could have hurt us deeply. Yeah, what did he address to Shimon and Levi? <clears throat> Indirectly, basically, while Reuben, I mean, uh, uh, Reuben and Yehuda, said that too, you know. Interesting, yeah. Why all along he refers to him in the third person, never directly. That's a great question. I don't know, I didn't see it addressed. It's a great question, Phil. Why Reuven, he talks to directly. Mishkave Avicha, Az Chilalta. Shimon and Levi is all third person. He removes his name from them. He doesn't want to be associated with them. Uh, he removes his name so much so that he's not even referring to them directly. He's referring to them in third person. Okay, possibly. Look at the Sforno. By the way, first of all, I'm sorry, we didn't answer. What does it mean, Klei Hamas? Your weaponry is stolen. Rashi says, Umnus Zusho Ritzicha. Your weaponry, which is murder, Hamasu Biyadchem, it's stolen. From whom? Esav, Zuhum Nashiloi. What was he saying to them? A little patch. He says, you guys are acting more like your uncle than you are like me. When you got a problem with people, we don't go kill them. You know who that's like? That's like Uncle Esav. You've stolen that trait. You stole that. Your clay chamas, your weaponry, is stolen. Clay or your weaponry, chamas mechiroseim, is stolen. Chamas means stolen. Your weaponry is, is, your clay is Hamas, is stolen. That's like Uncle Esav. Who do you want to be in life? You want to take after Uncle Esav or you want to take after me? Which way do you want to go? That's what he was telling them. Says the Svarno, Achim, Vahaya Kavod, Aroy, Leruven, Roy, Lahem. You brothers who the Kavod, the honor that Ruven lost, being a king or priest, really was worthy to you, but you've also lost it. You use weaponry, that's not worthy of a king. Why? A king needs to pursue justice. You don't just kill people. You don't wipe out a whole family. You don't wipe out a whole people. So he's saying to them, Achim, Shimon Valevi Achim, you brothers, you should have replaced Reuven. Reuven lost the monarchy, you were the next in line. Why don't you get it? Because because you are impulsive to violence. And a king can't be violent. A king has to promote justice. So therefore the destiny of monarchy is not for either of you two brothers, even though you are the next in line, because through your violent nature, 
you've shown that you're too violent to be able to be king. That's how the Sforno interprets it. Achim is to say you were the next in line after Reuven. But you don't get it because you have too much of a violent reaction and that's inappropriate. What does it mean when he says, I don't want to put my fate with you? Pretty harsh. What does it mean, I don't want to put my fate with you? So Rashi tells us. This, look at Pasuk Vav. Bisodam al Tavonafshi, Zemaisa Zimri, Shimon and Levi. Your offspring are going to have this Shimon. You remember later the whole story with Pinchas? Pinchas gets up and he drives a spear through Zimri and Kazbi. Why was he driving a spear through the two of them? Kazbi came from Midian and they were seducing the Jewish people. And it worked. Shimon, Zimri, who's the son of Salu, who's the head of which tribe? Shimon. He says, your Shimon, your son, your grandson Zimri, is going to bring Kazbi and say the following to Moshe. Am I allowed to sleep with her? If you'll tell me, no, how are you with the daughter of Yisrael? She's also not Jewish. If you tell me, yes, you tell me, yes, I can sleep with this non-Jewish Midianite woman, in an effort so that your so so Yaakov says to Shimon, it's your offspring who's going to embarrass Moshe Rabbeinu and bring this plague on the Jewish people. I don't want any part of that. And furthermore, be kahalam al kvodi. Don't tie my honor into your gathering. What's that kahalam? You remember a a uh, kahal who had a gathering? Korach says Rashi. Kishiyakel Korach shehu mishivto shalevi. Who did, who did Korach take after? Korach ben Ekash ben Levi. Children of Levi. Kol Moshe They also rebel against Moshe. So he tells Shimon and Levi, each of your children are going to have an episode of rebellion against Moshe. I want no part of it. I don't want to be connected from it. Ki harguish. Through your anger, your wrath, your rage, you've killed. What's that, says Rashi? Eilu chamor I don't want a piece of that. I don't want a piece of that. And therefore he tells uh, Shimon and Levi that monarchy and the um, priesthood is going to skip you as well. Um, hold on, we're not up to yet yet. There's another comment of the Ramban here on Pasuk Vav, but we don't have time. Let's keep going. So Yaakov tells him, I have to separate the two of you, Shimon and Levi. What does it mean I'm going to separate you? Says Rashi, Levi doesn't have a portion among the Jewish people. Right? We mentioned earlier. In the Nachla, in the division of the land in Israel, you have 12 tribes getting land. Ephraim and Manasseh are the, tenth, are the 11th and 12th tribes. Levi doesn't get its own tribe. Rather, where did Levi get? Levi gets cities among all of the other tribes. By the way, Shimon also doesn't have his own tribe, his own land. Shimon is subsumed within the territory of Yehuda. So the Navi in Yeshua tells us that Shimon does get territory, but their territory is subsumed within the greater territory of Yehuda, to the south. That's, that's the south, Yehuda and, and uh, Shimon. So he says, I have to separate you, meaning that you're not going to have your own distinct territories. Your territories will be, you'll be separate and different than everyone else. By not having your own territories, you will be subsumed in the territories of others. A big patch to Shimon Valevi. But now Yehuda, ah, oh, Yehuda, 
my little Yehudala, your brothers will acknowledge you. Yoducha achicha. What does it mean they will acknowledge you? Says the Svorno Yehuda, Ata, Ata Huroi Lamalchus, Bin Fomi Menua Kod Mimlacha, since Reuven and Shimon and Levi fell away, they forfeited the right. You are, oh, you're worthy. What was bothering the Svorno? Why did, what was bothering the Svorno that I had to give that answer? I'll tell you right now what was bothering the Svorno. Uh, I wish we had more time. What was bothering the Svorno is why does the Pasuk say Ata? Yehuda, Ata, Yehuda, why doesn't it say Yehuda? Yehuda, Achacha. What do you mean, Ata, you? Ah, oh, you! That's what was bothering the Sforno. So the Sforno answers, why Ata? Look how he answers. Yehuda, Ata? Ata, who are royal Lamachus? Yehuda, you! Ah, oh, you! You're the one. Reuven? Eh, Billah? No good. Shimon Levi? Kingdom? Nah, no good. Yehuda, Ata? Ata, you! You get it! Now why do you get it? Yoducha Achecha. Your brothers acknowledge you. If you look at the Kliyakar, and why do your brothers acknowledge you? Why do your brothers admit that you're the greatest because you're a person who yourself has shown the capacity to admit. Where does Yehuda admit? Episode of Yehuda and Tamar. Tamar confronts Yehuda and says, I have your staff, I have your ring. What does Yehuda say? How could you put me to death? What does Yehuda say? Tzadkami many, you are more righteous than I. In the merit of your capacity to be Yehuda, to be Modeh, to make admission, Yoducha Achecha, measure for measure, your brothers acknowledge you as well. There's a Kliyakar in your Pasuk I encourage you to read it more at length. It's a beautiful Kliyakar. In the merit of your capacity to acknowledge, your brothers will acknowledge you. And therefore, because Yehuda, you've shown the ability to make an admission, you've shown the ability to admit, to admit you're wrong, that makes you the outstanding leader who's worthy of, who's worthy of kingship. The Yorachayim also makes a comment here. He says, He's talking to him. Of course he knows he's talking to him. Why does he have to say, Ata, you? He knows he's talking to him. So that's the, the answer is, you, you are worthy. What does it mean, Gur Arye Yehuda? You are a lion cub. So the Svornosis means, right now, you're a cub. You haven't developed yet into a king. But Arye, you're going to be a king Eventually, right now, already you have the admiration of your brothers, but you're going to admir- you're going to uh, emerge as an Arye, as a full fledged, a full fledged king. What does it mean? I wish we had more time. What does it mean? Miteraf bini Alisa, you have risen above Teraf bini, killing my son. So says Rashi. Yaakov all these years thought Yehuda was the one who killed Yosef. He says, now that I see Yosef, everyone's been reunited, I know. Yehuda, you're like an Aryeh. I meant, when you, when, I, when you told me an animal took care of Yehuda, took care of Yosef, I thought it was you. But now I know, you've saved yourself. Now I know, not only did you not kill him, you were the one who said, let's not kill him. You were the one who actually saved him. And now I know, since you were the actual one who saved him, you've exhibited the courage to make you a king. Rashbam also has a comment here. And therefore, kingship descends from, from Yehuda. And here's a very, very important Ramban, Pasag Yud. The Ramban says, you see the kingship emanates from Yehuda, but it's not true. We actually learned this Ramban in our Parsha class two or three weeks ago. I don't know how many of you were here. When we studied Hanukkah. Why is there no tractate Hanukkah in the Mishnah? So the Chassam Sofer is quoted as saying because Rebbe, Rabbi Yehuda Nasi, who is the redactor of the Mishnah, descends from Yehuda, the tribe of Yehuda, right? Because Rabbi Yehuda Nasi comes from Hillel. Hillel comes from 
David Melech, who comes from Yehuda. So, Rebbe was punishing the Chashmonaim who should not have taken the throne. Chashmonaim were Kohanim. They come from the tribe of Levi. Levi, they had no right to the throne. Yudanasi was getting even by not giving their own tractate. And then we showed why that's actually unlikely to be the case, but other reasons. And we asked, is it wrong what they did? Were they wrong the Chashmonaim to have taken the throne? And the Ramban says, yes. Lo yasur shevet mi Yehuda. The staff shall not pass from Yehuda, only an offspring, only the progeny of Yehuda are worthy of royalty. Chashmonaim were wrong. Where was that Ramban? Right here. He says the Rachashmonaim were wrong. On the one hand, they were great. Without them, Torah would have been lost. But still, says the Ramban, right here on our Pasuk, what they did was wrong. So here on this Surah Shevet Mehuda, the Ramban says what they did was wrong, the Chashmonaim. The Ramam says what they did is right. When is it that they will never leave the staff from the hand of Yehuda? That's the world to come. Mashiach will be from the offspring of David and Melach. But right now, okay, in this world, it was okay. The Chashmonaim were an aberration. That the Chashmonaim, even though they were from the tribe of Levi. So come back to the last question. So how do you understand where is the bracha? So here is, here is a, a very important, a, to me, a very important lesson. You know what the bracha is? The greatest bracha you could give your kid is not telling them everything they're good at. The greatest bracha you could tell your kid is what they need to work on. The biggest bracha you could tell your kid is not to give them praise all day and tell them they're perfect, you're great, you're handsome, you're smart, you're athletic, you're great, the world owes you, the world should love you, the world should give to you. The biggest bracha to tell your kids are, you're great, but here are your shortcomings, and if you want to realize your potential, here's what you need to work on. Indeed, it is a great bracha Yaakov gave Reuven and Shimon and Levi, because what he's telling them is, if you want to achieve greatness, then look at your past. And I, as your father, am telling it to you out of love. Because there are two types of people who criticize. There are people who criticize to knock you down, and there are people who criticize to build you up. And most people who criticize, it is to knock you down. Says Yaakov, as your father, you know what the biggest bracha I can give you is? A criticism to build you up. Accept it. Embrace it. Grow from it. So again, the Torah never calls it a bracha. We call it a bracha. But I think it's worthy of being called a bracha because Yaakov is doing a great service to his children by showing them their deficiencies and faults so that they can improve upon them and indeed realize their greatness. Have a great-